All right. Well, hello, everybody. This is uh, this is your this is late, but I'm here. I'm ready to bring up bring up some shit. We're gonna talk about the Dow Day Ching. We're gonna. I, I want you to come on and give me a number between one and eighty-one, and let's break down the Dow. Uh, the Dow translates as the canon of reason. And look, oh, Catherine, oh, what a this is a a regular, long-time listener, multi-time caller. <laughs> Feel like I'm one of, I'm one of those night shows, you know. Yeah, is that's it's, it's <laughs> a regular caller. <laughs> yes, we got a regular caller for the Dow. Let's see. Um, how 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 was your weekend? Did you have a good weekend? Yeah, it was. You know, it was a weekend. Oh, okay. You know, well, let's see, let's see what the Dow has to say about that. You got a number that's coming. Fifty-eight. 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 All right. Okay. If a country is governed with tolerance, the people are comfortable and honest. If a country is governed with repression, the people are depressed and crafty. When, when the will to power is in charge, the higher the ideals, the lower the results. Try to make people happy and you lay the groundwork for misery. Try to make people moral and you lay the groundwork for vice. Thus the master is content to serve as an example and not to impose her will. She is pointed, but doesn't pierce. Straightforward, but supple. Radiant, but easy on the eyes. Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> like that, how? Oh. <laughs> that's, that's, sounds like someone I'd like to know. <laughs> Yeah. I like that. I like the word crafty when that showed up. Supple on the eyes it has some really good lines in there that I thought were. Yeah, this is this is this is this is very. It's very. Uh, uh, f- there's some flowery stuff going on here, but um, I'd love to go through this. Um, so I, I do like when the Dow goes to country, right? When it starts talking about like large countries, because um, the reason that Lao Tzu wrote this, I don't know if you know, was because he. He went to the ruler of uh, of his town, and I forget the name of the town and everything, but he went to the ruler and he said, you know what? Your city fucking sucks, and I'm going to go live in the woods. And, 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 this, and, and the guy, the, the, the ruler of the town was like, whoa, 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 like, you know so much. I'd love for you to write down some, some advice for us. And that's what made the Tao Te Ching. Nice. Um, so, so he he is talking about country here, like in 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 many senses. He often, you know, is talking about the rulers and like, hey, this is what happens, and this is what I've observed. But when we talk about rulers, uh, you know, for for people who are not rulers, when we talk about the country, we have to look at the country as being our body and our actions, right? Like, our, uh, you know, like like each one of us is independent and individual. And I know that that's something that that you. Um, you, you you hold on to those ideals as well. Is that right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So here we have, we start off with, if a country is governed with tolerance, the people are comfortable and honest. So like if we, if we, we take this to the body, like if we govern our body with tolerance, like we, we tolerate like not only ourselves, but we have to, you know, like, I mean, this, this, like I'd like to say even like with other people, like relationships, 
um, when we govern those relationships, when we govern the relationship with our body, when we govern relationships with our, even our spirit and our, our religious aspects or spiritual aspects of our lives, like if we do that with tolerance, we can be comfortable in those spaces. And so, being like, and I always talk about like, be kind to yourself, be at ease with yourself. Yeah. Be tolerant of what's yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so beautiful. The next line is if, if a country is governed with repression, People are depressed and crafty. I love that. Crafty. That's such a great way to put well, it. <laughs> yeah, because like let's look at let's look at the two things we looked at for the other one, like like our body <sighs> and then relationships. How do you see this? How do you see this happening in the body? I just love the way it, it doesn't use a negative word. Like he uses the word crafty. Yeah. And I think that that is such an interesting way to put that of how, you know, we make excuses or we mm. find way around things or, you know, how we avoid things or we name it something else so we don't have to acknowledge it. Like I hear, you know, even when I talk about intuition, I notice a lot of people name it something else so it doesn't become spiritual for them. Right. It doesn't have this or, magical connotation or just things like that. I want, I want to, I want to, I have a thought that I really need to get out. And so I just want to, I want to chime in really quick. Like when you are, let's say you are overweight and you don't like that about yourself, but you have trouble losing weight, you get crafty in this idea of, of, and it's fine. Like, I think, I think, that is repression, right? Like instead of being tolerant, your judgment of that situation becomes an act of repressing. And you can change the language to plus size princess or whatever, so that you can feel better about feeling bad. And you don't Mm -hmm. actually deal with the root of the situation. And that's not your weight. It's the way you look at your weight, the way you look at yourself, the way you don't um, respect yourself in that mode. And it might not have anything to do with your weight in the end, but like that is the manifestation of it. Like that, that's a way that we get crafty with language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally. I love that word crafty. I think it's awesome. Yeah. That's a, such a nice choice. So it is. Yeah. And, and cause because it's not just about depression, right? It's not like, as he says, people are depressed and crafty. So they're sad yeah. and crafty. It's not, it's not an either or thing. They're, they're like, they're sad with their situation. And in order to cope with their situation, they have to get crafty. Yep. Man, so good. All right. When the will to power is in charge, the higher the, higher the ideals, the lower the results. Oh, so true. Talk to me. Well, I, you know, in ourselves and listening to people and talking just even lately about the expectations we put on things and ourselves and the, you know, have to get these things done and, you know, our expectation of how it will look and what will happen. And even like people like, I'll build a website and then people will buy. But if you didn't tell anybody about it, it doesn't matter. It's this whole expectation thing um, that that we set up for ourselves. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of the term will to power, but you know, like, mm-hmm. how do you read that term? Will to power. 
Yeah, when the will to power is in charge. The will, the when you step fully authentically into yourself for your own sovereignty. So you're saying when you step into yourself for your full sovereignty, the higher the ideals, the lower the results? No. No, but with will to power, like that's that will is like you have to begin to be as authentic as possible to step into your sovereignty. Like if I took that as separate, like to me, that's that's what it means. But what happens is we will it so badly. We um, desire it so much that we override that authenticity. And so when we override it, and we begin to layer it with this expectation, this have to, this need, that's when we get off track. Right. Yeah, I see that like will to power when it's like when your when your desire is to have power rather than like in, in, in like if I were to use your terms, rather than be within yourself in a sovereign state. Right. Yeah. Like, like, like power is more important than you are. So when the will to power is in charge, when the power, when, when, when the desire for power has more, more attention and has more energy and you're giving it more energy than you're giving yourself or more attention than you're giving yeah. yourself, the higher the ideals you carry and the lower the results are going to be. Yeah, it's that kind of, I think we've talked about this with Allison and a couple other interesting conversations about that. Um, fake it till you make it. There's oh, right, when it yeah. when it flips to the wrong end. That's how I see it. Of like, like the will to power. If you look at it in the in, for me in a pure form, is I become so authentic that my power becomes my sovereignty and freedom. But if I take it to a range of where I'm willing my power, it becomes this this fake it till you make it. I cover it all up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see that. I love that. This is always so much fun. It is. <laughs> so next lines. Try to make people happy and you lay the groundwork for misery. Oh, man, I can't tell you how many times I've made people miserable. I just <laughs> In making just, them happy? <laughs> just trying to keep them happy. You know, and I know that, that that's happened to me through my, uh, even myself trying to make people like me, right? Like, because again, this is talking about government, right? And so we, right. we look at the body and you try to make those parts, like individual parts of yourself happy. Like when I was, you know, uh, strung out and other things like that, I would continue to try to make that one part of myself happy. And all I was doing was laying groundwork for increased misery. Me too. Yeah. And you, um, and also, I, I'm thinking about, like, when you want to make things happy, you begin to set regulations on things. Right. And you first have to start with a definition of what happy is. And that's... Oh, that well, is, that's, that's, that's too, that's way too far out there for many of us at the point with that we need to identify happiness. You well, know right. I mean? I mean, as soon as you say you will be happier... Or yes. I will be happier when this happens. It's like you've already described like something that isn't happy and right. you've, you've put a definition of happiness on it. And so yeah. like that's that's it's obviously going to be coming from a poor from a poor central like location. 
it does make me think of a of, of, of a government saying that's that um, there's advertisements and everything out there that says you will be happy when you own nothing. And it yeah. struck me when you said that, you know, you will be happy because it, it literally says that. And it's a regulation. And so it makes me feel like when you when you're like, OK, I'm, I'll be happier when. I wake up at five every morning. I'll be happier when I do this at 10 o'clock. I'll be happier when I do. So we end up creating this forced structure that you're almost forcing yourself to be happy in. And that just never falls flat. And same with people. You'll do the same thing. Oh, we'll be happier if we start doing these things. You'll be happier if you fall into these exact little regulations. Right. Yeah. Try to make people moral and you lay the groundwork for vice. And I love that because, you know, coming out of addiction, it's like when you try to make people like do the thing that you want them to do, they're going to escape however they need to. They're going to get crafty. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to use that craftiness and they're going to escape into vice, whatever that vice is. I think what you said is so important. It's it, we're linking it all back, like to the craftiness and the reforcing happiness on them. So they're like, listen, I'm going to find my way. I'm going to be like a, a raccoon and I'm going to look too big, but I'm going to be able to fit to that teeny weeny place. Yeah. And you won't expect it. Thus, the master is content to serve as an example and not to impose her will. One of the great things I like about this Stephen Mitchell translation is that he interplay, he inter, he intersperses like he and she for the master, depending on the, not depending, like, I think he just does it randomly. I don't, I don't know that he has a plan for it, but it is, it is nice that, that he does that because in the Chinese language, there is no gender to uh, pointing people out. So, um, so that's a really nice uh, addition that is in this uh, translation. So thus the master is content to serve an example and not impose her will. That's that's the way I work. I want people to see me rather than listen to me. You know, they want to see the, the that I am living a good life that is filled with love and filled with respect for myself and others. And I want that to serve in his example. And I think that's a beautiful way to um, to lead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And that. um that is that is true leadership right leadership is not i am a title because i am this title you have to do this whether it's right or not or is puts you in jeopardy or goes against your morality and ethics um that's that's not leadership that's a title of um presumed authority that's why i call presumed because there's you know, other things. And then real leadership is when people choose to follow you. Right. Right. Yeah. And they choose that every day. And that's not something yes. that they choose one day and then 10 years later, they just have to keep doing it. Yes. Yeah. See, here I am, regular listener and <laughs> And I just realized I kept my, I, I, my timers on for an hour, but we're going to go through this last line and then I'm going to kick you out so I can bring some. Yeah, more. I don't have an hour. My muffins yeah, are good. ready for me to eat. I don't have time for this. All right. So she is pointed, but does not pierce straightforward, but supple, radiant, but easy on the eyes. And that's I love that last line, radiant, but easy on the eyes, because, you know, like when you look at the sun, it hurts. 
but but when when a person has radiance like they're bright but but you can still be in their presence and be mm-hmm. present with that and that's something that i think i think when we meet people like that um we take note yeah and it's and it's palpable when you see someone like that in a room or in a space yeah of any kind like it's it's something that everyone will recognize it's always interesting to me yeah and i love the pointed i love the point that made a lot of sense to me read that again she is pointed but does not pierce see and i that to me is when you're you're in your 100% knowing of intuition when you're laser focused, when you've got your niche, like it's just so clear, it's pointed in the right direction. It's, it's mm. a clarity and a certainty that stood well, out to me. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, this line is interesting to me as well, because the work that I do, it always, it's always about loving yourself. And the more you can love yourself, the more you can communicate, the more you can love others, the more you can uh, help others see themselves. That's how I see it. And so when you love yourself, you can get to the point and you can tell people the truth from your space of love, not from a space of discomfort, not from a space of nervousness or defensiveness, but you can be very honest. And, you know, a lot of people like like to look at this and be like, you're being brutally honest. Well, if you're being brutally honest, then my guess is you don't really, you're not, you're not in this space of really loving yourself as much as you can, because there's a need for you to be brutal. Mm-hmm. But when you are honest and coming from a place of love, you are able to be heard because it's, it's coming from such an honest, pure place. And that purity that you carry because you love yourself with no reservation, and that's hard to be at. And maybe it's just you love yourself with no reservation on this topic. So, um, but that's how I see she is pointed but does not pierce. I can, and I have many times told people things about themselves that they don't want to hear. But because I do it from a place of self-loving, and that means I love you as well, they can hear it. They can onboard it and they can change because of it. And that yeah. in that way, yes. in that way, there is no piercing. Yeah. I mean, I have fired people and kicked people out of things and they still like, I mean, 10, 15 years ago and, and by being, you know, pointed the way this is talking, I still am in touch with them. They still write me. They send me birthday cards. They still call for advice. Right. I think that's such a good point you're making. And it's I what I think is fun about when we do this is I feel like the conversation is balanced in different aspects from different views. It's always yeah. fun. I always love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll see you later this week on this. I'm trying to do them at different times to see what 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 works. I was doing them at 8 a.m. I didn't see you for a week, so we'll, we'll, we'll try and push it a little later. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and yeah, my life. You never know what's happening, but that's never the, can. That's the fun. That all is. Right, thank it you is, for it my is all up there. Yep. Dow of the day. Sending love and toodaloo. <laughs> bye bye. I'm trying to get you to leave, manage, and leave. Okay, gotcha.
All right, I have an open seat and waiting for somebody to jump on and give me a number between one and 81. What's great about the Dow is it can be seen from so many different aspects. So from wherever you are, you have space to, oh, another another regular, stole my heart long time ago. Andy, how you doing? Well, hello. <laughs> How's it going? It's going. How you doing? Good. I'm doing really well. I'm here doing the Dow a little later in the day today. I had some meetings and stuff today, but it's um, I am on it and I am feeling the Dow. I, I actually did a Dow at my meeting. Like the person I met with was having some things and I was like, hey, give me a number. <laughs> I'm curious to know what number they picked. Actually, no, I don't want to know. Okay. Because I want to pick a number. I, I want to pick a number. Yeah. Well, I want, I want you to. Well, give me a number. I didn't actually hear what number Catherine picked, but I'm going to pick 19. That wasn't it. Okay, good. <laughs> 19. I caught like, I, I came on after I heard that number. I just remember yeah. she was going because her muffins are ready. And I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> muffins. I didn't yeah. hear muffins. I think I was talking at the same time. So I'm glad you told me what they were because I was like, I didn't know what she had ready. I thought it might have been a grilled cheese. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, 19. Throw away holiness and wisdom. And Wait, people will be people will be a hundred times happier. Throw away morality and justice, and people will do the right thing. Throw away industry and profit, and there won't be any thieves. If these three aren't enough, just stay in the center of the circle, and let all things take their course. Have did I you pick that before? number before? I think you did. Okay, then I want to pick. I want to pick something else. Yeah, because I was going to say, I think you literally picked that one before. How about, and I was going to check. I was, okay. Yeah, it was how you. How about, oh, it must be just like weighing In your them. heart. In your heart. I can't access my heart. Uh, how about oh. 12? 12. This is one of my favorites. Okay. So, um, color blinds the eye, sounds deafen the ear. Flavors numb the taste. Thoughts weaken the mind. Desire withers the heart. The master observes the world, but trusts his inner vision. He allows things to come and go. His heart is as open as the sky. So first of all, I want to bring in that like just before you said 12, you're like, I can't access my heart. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, access it. I'm going to say you have access. <laughs> well, uh, apparently. I mean, yeah. So are we doing this line by line? Or yes, we're doing this line by line. Colors okay. blind. The, like it's, it's this, 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 this whole first verse really speaks to the same thing. So I'm going to read all five lines and then we'll, we'll, we'll discuss. Colors blind the eye. Sounds deafen the ear. Flavors numb the taste. Thoughts weaken the mind. Desires wither the heart. I think the last line is the one that resonates with me the most because this idea of desire is always that we're not enough right now, that there's something right. more somewhere in the future. And so many people live about two inches from arriving and this concept of arriving that we're, we've already arrived. Yeah. But this idea of desire and want. We're here. We're here. Yeah. But we're wanting. Like we're, and you think about like 
great love. People that spend time wanting great love never get it because they're always wanting. Like, oh, I'm reaching for this. I'm reaching. And when you're reaching, you're sending one message. And the message is, I don't have this. I am lacking. And the universe goes, oh, you're lacking? Okay, I'll respond with more of that. Right. You know? See, I like this one so much because being an artist, um, you know, it starts with colors blind the eye. You know, that's, it's, it's interesting in a number of ways. I don't know. Have you ever, as an artist, I play games with my eyes because my eyes are the tool that I use. Have you ever gone into a bathroom with no light, turned on the light really quick and turned it off, and then you got to see your bathroom in, like, the blue after it burned your retina? I think I did that when I was a small child. I'm very opposite of you in that I don't use my eyes at all. Like I'm, I'm traditionally not visual and I don't see anything. I'm like, like a mm. tunnel vision person. But, to, but elaborate more on this because I, I like it. I like well, I, you know, like playing with our tools is something that I, you know, like it, it just it, to build curiosity and other things like that is something that I've always loved. And, you know, this line, the first time I read Colors Blind the Eyes, sound deafens the ear. This brings up like art and music, right? These are the two things that like were really important to me um, when I was younger. And as I got older, this flavor numbs the taste as I met people who like were like foodies and all this kind of stuff. It's like all of these things is like you cannot go back to food not having flavor, which was the case a hundred years ago, mm. right? When, when, when salt wasn't 99 cents a pound and you can get it at the fucking gas station. Right, right, right. Right, like when, when colors blind the eye, the more we the, like look at like Instagram and all this, we flip through that and it's just like so much, so much, so much. And then something beautiful goes by, but we miss it because it's just not enough. It's and, it, and we're always looking at that, right? And thinking, okay, well, that that makes us dissatisfied with our inner world because we think there's more outside of us. And the same is true with like, like I think about when with flavors, what what, what was flavors blind the taste? Is that the flavors word? numb the numb taste. the taste. I was like, it can't be blind. I can't. I yeah. can't be. That has to be eyeballs. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it, it's that we can't just appreciate, and, and I and we can't just appreciate the idea that we are fueling our bodies and providing sustenance to these vehicles that drive us through life. Like we couldn't be, we couldn't experience the the wide array of emotions and the joys of being human if we didn't fuel the vehicle that carries us through. And I think a lot of times I meant, I heard you mention weight loss when you were talking to Catherine. A lot of times people will have issues with that particular thing when they want to lose weight because they think, oh, I'm going to be losing out on all of these things, this, this food. I love food so much. And it's like, well, why do you love food? Do you love it because you need to escape? Is it like a pacifier that like you, like you've used the word pacifier before where you have to escape yeah. to an experience or do you love food because you're putting it in your body and being fulfilled? And I think that if it's the case that you can appreciate it for the fact that it's fuel and that you take it into your body and it becomes part of your body, then you're enhancing your experience your, as a human. But if you need it and it becomes just something, like, and if you're dependent on there being this massive gustatory explosion <laughs> to keep you kind of sedated, 
then yes, flavors numb the taste like a, a million times. You're you're just in perpetual dissatisfaction. And I, as as you talk, I see that all of these these five things that he said, if it was four or five, I don't remember exactly, are really the same. They're all one of the same, you know? Right. Yeah. And, you know, the one that we didn't point out is one that, you know, is probably like me as an intellectual. And, and I think you would you, you would fall in that category as well. Thoughts weaken the mind. That one's hard. Right. That, like, hard. that one that one's hard for for me. like I get it. Like, I know that my mind is strongest when it is empty. Mm-hmm. When I can just be here right now with who I'm with or with what I'm doing, like, my mind is sharp. Well, you know, but I you, like to. You have on. all, you're all knowing. I mean, you know everything. That's right. When you don't know anything. Yeah. But then we, we start attaching exterior stipulations on the thoughts that we're having. Like, oh, this is an experience that I'm having. And once you start thinking too much, all of a sudden it just goes to hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then your mind can't be open to everything that is, right? As soon as, you feel, as soon as you have a thought, there's a part of your mind that is inaccessible to what is going on in this moment. Mm-hmm. And so that is the weakening of the mind. And when you feel good about having that thought, you further, you know, uh, incite this weakening. Mm-hmm. And so that colors, sound, flavors, thoughts, desires, all of these things are weakening us or, or getting us separate from the moment right now, you know, and, and the colors blind the eye thing. And just kind of thinking about like the fact that at five thirty in the evening, my phone goes to black and white and it goes to black and white because of this verse. Because mm-hmm. like, I want to, I want to have sensitivity to color. I want to have sensitivity to what I'm being presented. And when I look at, when I look at Instagram on black and white, it's not as appealing. That makes a lot of sense. That's actually really great. And for, as an artist, I mean, I understand the, the place that you're coming from. Well, I'm, I'm not an artist in the way that you're, you're an artist, but. Oh, it, but it, you're an artist. Ah, well, I've been told that, but I, I, I prefer to think of myself as a scientist, but a Ooh. social scientist, but I love you know, it. Love everybody, it. everybody must be an artist. So what here's the, here's the thing. There is one difference between science, a scientist and an artist. And that is artists come up with their own um, projects and scientists follow the projects of others. Yeah, that's interesting. And like scientists and artists are the same people, but they want to approach problems like artists create problems to solve that they're personally interested in. Scientists solve problems that have already been established. Oh, that's fascinating stuff. And that make that means so much. You, that is, you're not going to really realize that, but that means a lot to me. I was in a, a, years ago, I think you and I have talked um, at one point about tasks. And I was once referred to by a friend of mine as a taskmaster because he was art and I was science. And we ran a training team at our, at, we worked together. We ran this training team. So we were in charge, both of us, but both of us were in charge because we, we, this program, this training program that we were a part of had stressed that there is, there needs to be an equal balance of art and science. And I've always believed that. And I've always been the person that's followed the science where he was more of the person that came up with group activities and morale boosting and all of these things that made people feel good. And I was, okay, I'm going to put together the logistics. And that was kind of how it was. 
But I always gravitated just in my life towards solving problems of other people. I didn't want to create. I just wanted to come in and say, okay, well, there's enough mess. Let's get in here and try to try to clean up some of this that already is. So it's, I've always known I was a science person, but I never knew the way that it, I never knew how it directly related. So thank you for that. That Yeah, no, like when I was, when I, when I first got out of high school and this is when I was still using and stuff, like it just, like I was having a conversation with somebody and I was like, no, artists and scientists are the same. They're, They're totally like in so many ways, they're exactly the same except this one. And it is, it is that, that idea that like an artist is going to create their own problem to solve. Like, how does this, how, how can I create this thing? How can I solve this problem? And the problem might be visual. The problem might be social. The problem might be financial. The problem might be anything, but, um, but they, they've created that problem. Mm-hmm. The, then they know, that's the one thing about artists that I think is they know that the problem isn't universal like it is theirs and they can do whatever they want with it and that ain't gonna fly in science and that's what that's that's the bridge that has to get crossed and but i think science and art have to come together absolutely balance yeah the master observes the world but trusts his inner vision this is something that i've been you know like that this is this is a great thing to explore right trust your inner vision like even though the world around you is happening it's not it's not it's not all that mm. yeah there it makes us have a, a skewed perception definitely of reality and the idea that there are expectations you talk a lot about education but i and i and i think i've spent a lot of time just in my work talking about society's implication on on different things a lot of people find themselves in perpetual dissatisfaction because they're trying to, when they, when they do these observations, they think, well, it should be. And what I do should be like something that I see. I want to emulate and I want to, and when you talk about the master, the master is like, I can see and I can emulate or I can choose not to because that's not required. Like my emulation is not required. Right. And he trusts his inner vision, whether that inner vision, like, right, that inner vision can't be blinded, can't be deafened, can't be numbed, can't be weakened, can't be withered. That inner vision is yours. And again, that's the master, right? The master trusts his inner vision. And that vision is something that's bigger than the observable world. It's something Mm -hmm. that's bigger than, than him or us or her. He allows things to come and go. His art is as open as the, his heart is as open as the sky. And maybe I, I, his I, art too. I mean, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe it's really good for you right so, there. <laughs> this is, I, I mentioned, this is one of my favorites. And this last line, his heart is as open as the sky. This is, this is something that I've really tried to uh, emulate in my life is to have an open heart, open to what is and open to what can be and open to everybody that is, you know, in my proximity. Um, and that's something that is, uh, has always been, uh, you know, really important to me. And so this, again, like, here's another point that this, that this verse specifically really speaks to me on, but he allows things to come and go. Um, you know, I, I, I listened to get the fuck off today. 
and the allowing of, which is your podcast, get the yeah. fuck off podcast. Thanks and, for the plug. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, and allowing things to come and go is really a large part of the topic of that, of, of this week's episode. Can you speak to that? Yeah. I mean, I could, I can definitely speak to it. So I was talking in the podcast about the idea that we sometimes cling on, cling to things or stay in things too long because of sunk costs or because of loyalty. I mean, a lot of times we develop these loyalties. I know that I've talked about having a lot of my emotional needs met outside of my home when I was young. So I tend to cling to people and relationships and friendships and lovers and jobs and all kinds of things way too long as an adult because I have this, this value that's loyalty. And the truth is it's, that's not that energy flows and things flow in life there. We don't, we don't hoard, we can't hoard people or experiences or anything like that. We need to let things go. You can't, you can't have the same 10 people in your life forever and expect to grow unless those people are inviting new people into their lives. And then, you know, you'll get a little bit of residual, but it's not, not totally. But maybe they'll leave. Maybe they'll let you go. Maybe they will. And then where are you at? Maybe they will. And you can't, you can't feel any particular type of way about it because every time I let something go, something new comes in and I remain a rich, I live a very rich life because of this. And it's not, and there is no abandonment in it. It's simply that I'm following a path and to follow that path, I have to let go of things. I have to be able to put things out. I have to let go of people. I have to let go of money. I have to let money flow to get more money. I have to let go of, I have to love to be loved. Like you have to be able, you can't hoard it all. You can't keep it all with you. You have to, it has to flow. And the thing is you can't keep any of it with you. Yeah, really you can't. There, there is no. And that's where this last line comes in, where his art, his, his heart, his heart, I can't say it. His art, his heart is as open as the sky. Like, like be open to receive. I think we've talked about this before before this idea that receiving should be an Olympic sport just because it's so like we, we want to hold on to what we have for so long. You know, you mentioned money and, and one of my, one of the things that I've had to get over, and I don't know if I've gotten over it yet is that I can go a long time and not spend a dime, right? Like I was proud of that for a long time. And the thing is, is maybe that's not something to be proud of. I've been on here a little bit, like a, a while and I, and I'll jump off momentarily, but yeah, this I'm is, it's a diff- a I figured um, this is the difference between like me and my brother, like my brother, my brother hoards money. And I was always, I always spent more money. Like I was, and I, not frivolously, just, just that I wasn't, I wasn't somebody that just lived on an ultra tight budget. He did. I did it. I was more like, oh, that's fine. Whatever. That's fine. And for it, I always had a lot more coming in than he did. There was always more that was flowing to me. It wasn't fixed. It wasn't regulated. It was more creative. It was more open. And we, we have similar, you know, circumstances, but it's just the difference in thought because I never lived in this restrictive manner of, and I always felt like I don't really care how much I make or how little I make. I'm still shopping at this store. Right. You know, like ride or die. There you go. (laughs) I I know. I know. I know. But uh, this was great. I'm going to jump off. I want you to be able to have more people come on and talk. But yeah, I really, number 12 was good for me today. That's what I picked, right? It was 12. 12. 12. Color blinds the eye. Have a good one, Andy. It's good to talk to you. You too, Martin John. See ya.
Yes. So here we are. Um, I am out of guests. Would you would you just come on? Anybody just press that little button that says join. It's it an exclamation point. I always forget when I'm not looking at it. Um, but I would love for you for one more person to come on. Give me a number between one and 81. If not, I'll pick one and talk to myself because I know how to do that for a long period of time. But I would love to uh, have someone on and talk about the Dow. You see, what we did with Catherine and Andy was they picked a number. I know Andy picked two, but that's because she picked 19 before. And that, you know, that's interesting. And, and, I, and I want Andy to recognize that, like, hey, you picked 19. What does that mean to you? Like, what is 19? Like, what is that a number that carries with you? Is that, does that have some power for you? Like, like, you know, I, I did know someone who liked a band at some point. And he, like the number 19 was a big part of that. And, and it's like, you know, I recognize that with myself too. Like sometimes when I pick a number, I just pick the same number a lot. It's like, huh, let's take a pause and, and feel for a number. You know, one time I was doing these doubt things and I was, I was waiting for somebody to chime in and come on. And, and I, and I looked in my heart and I saw it was, this is, I don't know what number it was. I'm going to say 47 and I'm not going to pick that number because I think I picked it recently, but I, and, and I think in my heart, I said 47. And then Catherine came on, this is like the first or second time. And she had picked number 47 and I was just like, Oh, that was the number I was going to go to. And so we are connected to this bigger ethereal plane you know like we are connected like you and i and catherine and andy and, and and everybody each and every one of us is connected and the dao is something that's been out and read and translated by many many people you have access in your body to every verse of the dao and when you reach out and say i need to pick a number and we're going to talk about the Tao. The number that you need is going to come forth. And the number that I need at this moment, I don't know what that is. 41 is the number that I need at this moment. And I do like this one. And we're going to share. I'm just going to talk about it. When a superior man hears of the Tao, he immediately begins to embody it. When an average man hears of the Tao, he half believes it and half doubts it. When a foolish man hears of the Tao, he laughs out loud. If he didn't laugh, it wouldn't be the Tao. Thus it is said, the path to the light seems dark, and the path forward seems to go back. The direct path seems long. True power seems weak, true purity tarnished. True steadfastness seems changeable. True clarity seems obscure. The greatest are the greatest seem unsophisticated. Hmm. So this is printed. It, it's it the, literally what it says is the greatest are seems unsophisticated, but um um. But my what I think is the greatest art. So it's A R E, but my guess is it was supposed to be A R T. Um, so the greatest art seems unsophisticated. And actually, I know that from the printed version. The greatest love seems indifferent. The greatest wisdom seems childish. The Tao is nowhere to be found, yet it nourishes and completes all things. 
I'm going to take a breath here and I'm going to start over and we're going to go through this line by line. When a superior man of, hears of the Tao, he immediately embodies it. Like each and every one of you, you hear about this and you say, yes, that is, that is what it is. And you are, and what does it mean to be superior? It means that you understand yourself. And I believe that's what he means here. I don't think he's putting us on a scale. When an average man hears that, it's like normal folks. He half believes it, half doubts it. You know, this is, this is the same thing about religion, right? Like it's like the religion is Tao, right? If God, if you just change those three letters to T-A-O, we're, we're, we're right back where we started, right? It's just, I always like to say, don't let words get in the way of a good conversation. When an average man hears of the Tao, he half believes it, half doubts it. And I think maybe that's where I am, actually. Like I believe it, but there are times I doubt it. And I think the doubting is getting less and less and less. And I'm trusting and I'm believing more and more. And, and, you know, the superior man immediately begins to embody it. And that's what I did when I heard the Tao. So maybe, maybe I can't say I'm superior, but I'm still in this space of being average because I have to believe it. And I still do doubt it. I still do doubt my ability to be in touch with the universe, the way the Tao kind of spreads, uh, talks about. When a foolish man hears about the Tao, he laughs out loud. Have you ever talked to somebody about something and they just laugh? Have you ever told somebody about how, you know, like, you know something that you couldn't possibly know? And I'm really grateful for the fact that I, I can, that I'm not a foolish man, because I've been able to experience the Tao and I've been able to experience the richness that the Tao can offer um, without having to laugh at it, without being in a space of not believing it. I mean, of course, I doubt it because I'm, I'm human and I have, you know, personal inner struggle. That's fine. But I can also stand here and say, like, you know what? I, I put the Tao through its paces by saying, I believe this is true. And then I find a way to express that. I remember the first time I did a blind portrait. I had no idea if I could paint someone's portrait that I had never seen before and get a likeness. But not only did I get likenesses, I got idiosyncrasies that the person I painted was able to spot a spot because they knew themselves and I didn't. Never seen people before and I'm doing portraits of them in which they are coming out with likenesses as well as coming out with idiosyncrasies. And one person I, I, I gave her, you know, long hair, but it was like a pixie cut, but just long. And I was really confused when I painted it. And when I showed it to her, she laughed and she was like, oh my God, I had a pixie cut for like 19 years. I just grew it out. Like, this is perfect. And it just kept turning out like it kept looking like a man. And that was something that I was a little embarrassed of. I was just like, I don't know what to say. It just looks like a man and the hair's weird. And she took it and she, she laughed for like a solid two minutes because she didn't like, she, she didn't even know I was doing the portrait. Like she thought I would talk to her and then do the portrait later. That's how intense our conversation was. Like she couldn't imagine that I was having a conversation and making a piece of art at the same time. And then, and, and that's the Tao, right? That's, that's us connected. I, I, didn't, I didn't know I could do this. I didn't know that this was going to be a possibility. I hadn't studied energy before that. I mean, I knew about it. But there I was tapping into it. Because I am at one with the Tao.
And if, if the foolish man didn't laugh, then it wouldn't be the Tao, right? Like, and that's one of the great things about the Tao. And this is something I really like about the Tao is like, it, it, it tells you, look, if you think you're engaging with the Tao, it has to come from a place of purity. Because if you think you're engaging with it, and, and it's just, that's your ego, then it's got nothing to do with the Tao. You know, and that's the thing, you know, I know Tao has kind of turned into Taoism, um, but these two are different things, right? These, these, the Tao Te Ching, whether it, it built a religion around that or not, whatever, like the Tao Te Ching is the text. Like, like I don't, like I, I nothing, nothing against Taoism. I'm just saying like, as, as someone who, who follows the Tao Te Ching, I would not consider myself a Taoist. I went to China, I went to a bunch of Tao uh, temples and did a little studying on what Tao was. And I was like, well, that then, then doesn't have anything to do with the Tao Te Ching. Like, oh, this is totally different. You know, I mean, I dig the gods and I did all that kind of stuff just because like they're cool sculptures and things, but, but it's not, that's not, that's not what, what I'm here for. I'm here to embrace the canon of reason. And that's what the Tao Te Ching is. Um, so yeah, and you know, like when, when we look at, when we look at uh, the Bible, if we're going to look at uh, Roman Catholic or Christianity, you know, they don't say like, of course you're not going to be able to get this. They just tell you everyone can get this. The Tao says, nah, maybe you can't. And no skin off my nose. That's fine. You're, you're good. Like, you can go, you can keep laughing at me, you know, but like in, in Christianity, you laugh at God, like he, he damns you. Like, man, how sensitive is that God? Like, like, man, get over yourself. But that's why, that's why I like the Tao so much. Again, it's about reason, not religion. Uh, it's a little different there, but, um, and now we go into this kind of litany of different things that, um, you know, are, are essentially paradoxes, uh, that, 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 that Lao Tzu is expressing. Thus it is said, the path into the light seems dark. The path forward seems to go back. How many of you are, are on paths that sometimes just go backwards, sometimes slow down? Like the more I feel like I'm going toward the light, sometimes it just gets darker and harder. And those are things, those are the times, those are the things that we want to make sure that we're paying attention to because we have to stay centered, you know, like and when we read 12 with Andy, um, it talked about, I'm going to, I'm going to scoot up to 12 because I, I have a memory on 12 that I want to express with this one. Um, the master observes the, the, the world, but trusts his inner vision. Um, No. Yeah. Okay. So he observes the world, but trusts his inner vision, right? Like you can observe the world and you can, it can look like your path, uh, your path into the light. It could look dark, but if you can trust that inner vision, then you know, you're going towards the light. You can be going forward and it seem as if you're going back, but if you trust your inner vision, you know, you're going forward. The direct path seems long, right? Like, I'm going, I, I want to go directly there, but it could seem like it takes forever. Now, if you, if you try and go a different route, because 
like I know the direct path for me and my career, the direct path for me and my enlightenment, the direct path for me and my and my uh, education, the direct path for me. It it seemed long because there were no tricks. I just had to go through the path. Now, if I if I gave up on my inner vision and I just said, "Oh well, just get a job and then you'll just be okay and then you'll you you won't have to worry about that," you know, I can I can sidestep all the struggle by by having uh, having something else. Well, what happens to my inner vision? And as we talked about um, on twelve with with Andy, it, it withers the heart. Desire withers the heart. Right. As we continue down these lines, true power seems weak. True purity seems tarnished. You know, true power seems weak. Like, who do you know that has true power? Like, like, I like to think that I have some true power. But I also have had to embrace weakness. I have had to embrace appearing as weak. And that's the thing. All of these things that seem one way, that's how they appear externally. It's not about you. It's not about what, what's actually happening. And, and this pairs so well with 12. 12, when we, when we were um, you know, blinded by colors, right? We're, we're, our, our, our taste was numbed by flavor. And the master has to follow his heart. You can't, you can't just be like, oh, that's salty and sweet, delicious. Well, all of a sudden, you're on a path that is not yours. You're on a path to to satiation, right? You're on a path to addiction. You're on a path to escape. True steadfastness seems changeable. I know, you know, everyone in my life tells me, oh, you change all the time. You change all the time. You change all the time. But I look at it as actually, if I look at everything, everything I've done makes sense and is steadfast, is a singular plan, is, is pure. And yet, Everybody sees it as changing. And yet I've been on a single path this whole time, but they see it as changing. Even, even when I got diagnosed with MS, I didn't change course. I changed the thing that I was doing. I, don't, I no longer have, a, have a, a production company. I'm no longer making videos. Well, I, I, I do, but, but it's not in the way that I was doing it. But the, what was in my heart and what remains in my heart is the same. And I am just continuing down the long path. It is the most direct path, but yet it seems long. True clarity seems obscure. This, I, I mean, you get that, right? Like how many times have you talked to someone who like, you're like, wow, he is so clear about things. And then you talk to him and you're like, I don't understand that. That's not because he isn't clear or she isn't clear. It's because it, it's so much easier to grasp complex, like, you know, roundabout bullshit ideas. But clarity, clarity is hard to embrace. Clarity isn't, isn't something that we can, we can just, we can just, I can't just give you clarity, right? It's going to take a little bit and you have to, you have to sit with that clarity because clarity isn't something that's just that, that you're, that you're, uh, uh, and you, you don't have the right for clarity, right? You got to work for that. Clarity, like the world is just filled with places to, to make you doubt 
And that's one, you know, one of the reasons I like wisdom. I like speaking on wisdom is because I feel like each and every one of you is here for clarity. I hope, you know, um, and, and that's what I want to produce. I want to produce programming. I want to produce talks. I want to produce an, an outlet for you to con- communicate in a way that can help you build clarity. The greatest art seems unsophisticated. The greatest love seems indifferent. The greatest wisdom seems childish. The greatest love seems indifferent. You know, like we, we had, uh, I, I talk on my podcast, the Recover Yourself podcast, a lot about um, tough love. And, and, and actually, that's, that's an episode that's coming up. I talk a lot about um, harm reduction. You know, when you love somebody, you want them to be healthy. You know, it could look one way, like I want you to stop using drugs uh, because that will make you healthy, right? And that could look a certain way. I want you to be abstinent and I'm going to do whatever I can. And, and we, we ushered in this, this idea of tough love. But the thing with tough love is tough comes first, love comes second. And that was, uh, that, that's been a mistake since the tough love movement really hit the, hit the streets. Um, love can look tough. Right. True love seems indifferent. Like if I love somebody and and I say, well, if they want to leave me, they can because I love them. I want them to be who they are. That, that may sound or seem indifferent. But the thing is, is I love them that much that it seems indifferent. Because. I have to trust that they know what's best for them. I don't want to come in and I say, I know what's best for you and you should listen to me because I love you. The fact that I love you means that I trust you know what's best for you. This might not happen to a 12-year-old, but once you're 14, that child knows what's best for them. And at least they should be put on a path to do that. So if, if the person you're talking to is over 14 and can make their own decisions, we should love them in a way that seems indifferent. You want to go out and do that? Okay. Understand the risks and off you go. Understand the things that you're doing and off you go. You're making an educated decision on yourself. The Tao is nowhere to be found and yet it nourishes and completes all things. You can't find the Tao anywhere. Maybe inside of you, you can find it. Maybe you can find it within you. But it is everywhere. And it's not just in you. It's not just in anything. It is in everything. And it nourishes and completes all things. And on that, I think I am complete. I really appreciate you guys listening to the Tao of the day. The Tao is a is a is a series of eighty one chapters. I'll call them today. I'll call them something else tomorrow. But eighty one verses. It's not poetry. It is. It, it translates to the canon of reason, or the way of reason. If you want to live a reasonable life, I'd say pick up a copy of the Tao. I've been reading uh, the translation by Stephen Mitchell, and uh, I'm Martin John. This is a Recover Yourself podcast, not podcast. This is a Recover Yourself production. And um, I love you guys. And I love the Tao. And I really appreciate you guys being here with me. Until next time, keep recovering yourself.